Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. In my opinion, the sweetest looking dog I know is by far the greyhound. But they have been and still are in trouble because they are bred specifically for the racing industry. And I'm telling you, they live miserable, short lives as racing dogs. But there are wonderful organizations out there that are doing incredible work to help these beautiful dogs. Recently, 50 greyhounds were rescued from a racetrack in Tijuana. And I want to introduce to you one of the organizations that were part of this effort. I'm now pleased to welcome Darren Rigg, president of Greyhound Adoption Center. Welcome, Darren. Hello there. Darren, you were involved in receiving 50 greyhounds from Mexico. Tell us about that. Oh, that's, that's a, a recent, uh, what we call a pull out of the track uh, in Tijuana, uh, which, by the way, are all U.S. dogs that have gone down there to race. Um, and it's become a bit of an end point for most greyhounds that end up down there. Um, we have a holding kennel um, that we various trainers put dogs in that they're done with, and the track um, cooperates with us holding those dogs. Um, the, before we knew it, we pulled out a bunch of dogs a few weeks ago, and suddenly there's 50 more. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and we were, we were full. You know, we had room for another 12 of those 50. But we were able to work with other greyhound adoption groups in throughout California, and we managed to get all 50 dogs out on the same day. And that's, uh, it's becoming more common. So it's kind of a blessing because the dogs survive, um, but, but it's inundating the greyhound groups like ours with massive workload and, of course, massive expense because um, the dogs arrive, you know, pretty needy um, at a minimum. They need fattening up, and uh, oftentimes there's broken legs among the group, and we have to repair their legs. Now, in the U.S., Greyhound tra- tracks are closing down, aren't they? Yes, they are. They, it's nowhere near like it was in the early 80s, where Greyhound racing was in its heyday. And it's not because of humane issues. It's because the gambling public has found other venues to use for gambling. So greyhound racing is tumbling into decline. And, of course, the dogs suffer as a result of poorer budgets and less care. And you you mentioned they're being now shifted over to Mexico? Well, shifted beyond Mexico. Um, The big worry now is that as greyhound racing declines in what we call the developed world, uh, it's on the rise in the developing nation, developing um, countries. So dogs are being exported to China, Vietnam, um, places where it's often a one-way street. There's one racetrack uh, in Macau, China. No dogs survive from that track, and they, they, they all die. It's about 300 a year. And there's a phony adoption program, but it's not real. Now, people think, some people think that, okay, dogs love to run, so it's not so bad. But these dogs don't have a happy, healthy life, do they? They don't. I mean, people say, are they abused on the racetrack? Is it abusive to race a greyhound? And my short answer is dogs are companion animals. We've bred them for human company and human purpose. Um, and these dogs are treated like cattle. And so that's kind of, you can take your own perspective, whether that's abuse, but it's not a loving environment. So we do get some fearful dogs that have been handled, probably been handled roughly. Um, and we, we, we guide those dogs to trust people. Yeah. So a lot of our work is behavioral modification and education and, and socialization. Now, going back to this recent Mexico rescue of the greyhounds, you took in 12, and you mentioned that the physical and emotional conditions they were in were, were pretty poor, huh? 
For the most part, they, they, we've seen dogs in much worse shape than this particular group. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're certainly not in a good, great condition because, like I said, they're treated like cattle. And there are times, depending on the time of year, um, where we bring in dogs and they're just covered in ticks oh. or covered in fleas and ticks. Um, and, and they have internal parasites. Now, they, under our care, they go out happy, fat, and healthy. But that's a lot of effort to do. And it, it's, there's more to greyhound rescue than simply just picking up dogs at a racetrack. And a lot of these dogs come to you with broken legs and broken ankles. And where do you get the money to pay for all these veterinary services? <laughs> we beg. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we, we have a membership. Um, people who have adopted from us, we encourage them to become a member of Greyhound Adoption Center. And that's one of our lifelines. And we also have a sponsor, a Greyhound program, which is a little bit old school because it's a physical letter that you get in the mail <laughs> with photographs of your sponsored dog. And that's pivotal for us because um, it changed what we can do. It was because of our sponsor program that we were able to, you know, at first rent a kennel and then eventually buy our own facility. So these rescued dogs are in your facility and uh, foster care? Yes, we have, we have about 22 dogs in foster care. Um, most of those are special needs dogs recuperating from injuries or illness. And then the dogs at our center, which is usually between 43 and 47 dogs. Um, are the ones that we're currently, you know, getting ready for homes. And we get to know the dogs as individuals. And we get to know our adopters as individuals. And then we play this, you know, love connection game where we, where we guide people toward a dog that's a good fit for them if they've got kids or cats or, or they're gone a lot or they're home a lot or they travel. And we call it profiling. And it sounds a little long-winded, but we actually find we have people coming back um, for a second dog. 20% of our adoptions is our re-adopts or second, second add-ins or third. So we're doing something right. One of the things we try to be, as well as being an advocate for each dog, we also are an advocate for each adopter because if they take the wrong greyhound, it's going to be an unhappy story. Right. If they take the right greyhound, it's a happy story. And so we call that the profiling method. And it really works for us. And um, we're, we're quite proud of it. Do we expect all these dogs to get into loving homes? Yes. The dogs that we're able to pick up are going to go to loving homes. The dogs that we can't take because we either don't know about them, because there's a lot of secrecy behind the greyhound business, and dogs are just disposed of, those are the, those are the unlucky dogs. And we're worried because as greyhound racing declines in the United States very rapidly now, we know that the trainers, they'll say, oh, we'll hold the dogs for you. And then we try and get there as fast as we can. But they don't hold the dogs for us because it costs them too much money. Mm. So we're worried that when the real deluge starts, there's going to be such a flurry of dogs and nowhere to put them. So we're hoping to network with other uh, dog rescue organizations and, uh, and bigger organizations and be prepared for the fallout. Darren, these dogs make wonderful companion animals, don't they? I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the best kept secret in the dog world. You know, we're not particularly purebred breed snobs or anything. You know, dogs are dogs and we love all dogs. And we take greyhound mixes in our program too. But the, tra the, the, the track greyhound, the racing dog, is just an incredible companion animal. I mean, they just become part of the family. Um, and they really are 45 mile an hour couch potatoes. They love being part of the, the group, part of the family. They get along with other dogs. And we've placed thousands of these dogs in homes with cats and had very few issues because we get to know each dog as an individual. Right. And we know which ones can live with cats and which can live with kids. But they are, you know, a genuine life changer. Pe people who've adopted greyhounds, 
it's, uh, it's often a life changer for them. And they often can't be without a greyhound when the greyhound passes away. They're right away, you know, calling and saying, we need another greyhound. I look at the face of a greyhound and I just see the sweetest face in the world. And they just seem so loving and so gentle and so sweet and beautiful. They are. And they're a good nature dog. And they're a very clean dog. Darren Rigg, president of Greyhound Adoption Center. How can my listeners help? If they live locally in San Diego, we always need volunteers. A donation in any amount, from a dollar on, onward, every penny counts. Um, we can subscribe to our newsletter, Off Track Greyhound. And check out our website, which is houndsavers.org. Darren Rigg, thank you. Thank you. Don't go away after the break. Peter's going to be speaking to President and CEO of Animals Asia, Jill Robinson. She has exciting news to share with us. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. 
Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Welcome back to Animals Today. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How you doing? I'm good. Peter, you had a chance to speak to President and CEO of Animals Asia, Jill Robinson. Yes, I did. I'm going to play that interview in a moment. You know, I've really been a fan of Jill and Animals Asia for a long time. We got to meet them a few years ago here in the desert when they were doing a little tour. And they are really doing such wonderful uh, work in China and Vietnam and other countries, uh, focusing initially on the bare bile farming industry, which is this horrible, cruel uh, practice and really making great strides and changing the whole culture there. So let's hear what Jill, I know she has some great news for us. uh, So let's hear what Jill has to say. Great. I now want to welcome Jill Robinson, founder and CEO of Animals Asia uh, from Hong Kong. Hi, Jill. Hello there, Peter. How are you? Very well. And thanks for uh, making the time. And there's a great announcement that you provided to us and that is also on the website about some real uh, great progress concerning the eradication of bare bile farming in Vietnam. So let us know what's going on. Peter, this has been quite some week um, because I've just got back from Vietnam where we initially joined um, a very large association of traditional medicine practitioners in Hanoi for their press conference where they were announcing that the remaining 5% of their 65,000 members would uh, give up the prescription of bare bile by the year 2020 in Vietnam. So this is a massive step forward for us in our goal to end bare bile farming there in the country. And remind listeners who are not familiar with uh, this whole topic of of farming and uh, holding these bears uh, and collecting their bile, explain the horrors involved in that. At least 10,000 bears in China and another 1,200 bears in Vietnam are kept in tiny cages and um, surgically mutilated so that their bile is used for traditional medicine. Obviously, many of them are spending decades in those cages and the pathology is the result um, that we see with our rescued bears is absolutely hideous. Many of them have their teeth cut back to gum level. They have their paw tips cut away mm. to stop their claws growing and make them easier to milk. And they suffer a catalogue of physical and psychological abuse. And at Animals Asia, we've been lucky enough to rescue now over 550 bears in both China and Vietnam. You've dedicated your professional life to uh, helping these bears. And in fact, you've developed uh, quite a large network with rescue centers. Tell us what the organization does. We've rescued, again, hundreds of bears from these circumstances. And we've built um, what are now award-winning sanctuaries in both China and Vietnam and had a team there in both countries that has really seen these bears on the road to recovery. Obviously, major abdominal surgery um, has to occur to remove their gallbladders in many, many cases. 90% of the bears, over 90%, need dentals to repair broken and shattered teeth. Many of them have eye problems because of the trauma on the farms and Mm. also because of the poor nutrition and infection. Um, So, you know, as I said before, there's a catalogue of injuries that need to be addressed and that's before we can get them integrated and outside in beautiful grassy enclosures. But my goodness, you know, once they get out there, it's just incredible to see them enjoying the sun, um, walking on grass, swimming in swimming pools with friends. Um, and just this week, um, we've just rescued another seven bears from their bile farm torture. So we've got them in quarantine now and just seeing, you know, just every day seeing how they improve and start to trust people again. Um, and, and just, it's almost indescribable to yeah. see how their characters are coming out individually and how much they're improving. A series of photographs and a video of you signing some papers along with one of the representatives of the Traditional Medicine Association from Vietnam. What are you agreeing to? 
by 2020, um, literally every single member of that association of 65,000 members will no longer sell or prescribe bare bile. So it's a major step forward, but obviously sees with no, no, pres no prescription of, the, of, this, uh, of this substance, then demand obviously is going to drop even more. So it's a, it's a landmark, um, it was a landmark day this week. And it also saw, interestingly enough, um, a human pathologist coming along and talking about the fact that, you know, of course this, uh, this substance from animals that are so diseased is not doing any good to the people that consume it as well. So he was very, very heavily coming in on the, on the fact that people's health is not only seriously damaged through taking bare bile in Vietnam, but also that people are dying from taking this substance too. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. And are the remaining practitioners, do you think they'll be on board with this? Are they going to be able to let this substance go and switch to the other herbal alternatives? Well, this is the pledge of the head of the association. So I think that, you know, in respect that traditional medicine now is seeing great respect for people across the world. And obviously they, they want that, <clears throat> that respect to continue. So they have to drop um, practices that really are not necessary today, considering that there are so many herbal and synthetic alternatives now to bear bile. Um, and the fact that the, the, the industry of bear farming is hurting an incredible Appendix 1 endangered species of bears. So I think, you know, we are seeing the writing on the wall and Vietnam is definitely leading uh, that process in ending bear farming once and for all. Well, we're very uh, pleased to see this development. How is the situation in China similar or different uh, compared to Vietnam? Well, in Vietnam, bear bile farming is actually illegal. Um, so, you know, we've had obviously a, a, a smoother process, if you like, and there's only, as I said, about 1,200 bears now um, needing rescue, and we are working with other NGOs and with the government to literally mop up that industry. But in China, it's a very different issue where the practice of bear farming is still very much legal in the country. Um, and again, it entails not just rescuing the bears and showing the government the pathology and the problems associated with bear farming, but also working very industriously with the traditional medicine practitioners, with the general public, with celebrities, with the media, again, to build up this profile of bear farming and show that uh, it's an utterly horrendous and unnecessary practice today. And is it practiced uh, throughout the country or, do you, I mean, that's a big geography that you would have to cover. It is. It's practiced in many provinces. Although I have to say that a few years ago, we did sign with uh, 21 provinces um, that they would either remain or become bare bile farm free. So we have another 10 provinces to go, admittedly those that have the most bears and bear farms um, in the country. But again, it's very significant, I think, and aligns with what we're finding from the public, that they no longer want bear farming to continue yeah. in their country. Jill, the organization uh, you, you founded in Lead Animals Asia, really it's a, a model of what can be done in in to help animals around the world. So I, I want, we admire you very much. We've been following your work for years and I want to encourage uh, everyone really to go to the website and learn more about Animals Asia. Where is the website? Thank you so much, Peter. It's www.animalsasia.org. Um, and there you'll see our programs, not just addressing bear bile farming, but of course the consumption of dogs and cats in Asia and the issue of uh, captive animal welfare too. So we've got a lot of programs. We'd love your support. Um, you know, we're a, a smallish NGO. We're doing great programs and, uh, and we're seeing a lot of fantastic results for the animals as a result of what we do. Jill Robinson, thanks for joining us on Animals Today. Thank you so much, Peter. After the break, we'll be speaking with Andrew Harmon about sharks and their fins and shark fin soup. Uh-oh. Stick around. You're listening to Animals Today. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? Well, you should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. 
If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn as a free gift. Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Big news out of Texas, believe it or not, concerning sharks. So the state of Texas has just ended commercial trade of shark fins, making it the 10th U.S. state to do so. So shark fin soup, you know what that is? It's a, it's a Chinese delicacy, and there's a centuries-old tradition of serving shark fin soup at, at weddings and banquets and other ceremonial events. And I know it might sound strange to link an environmental threat to a bowl of soup. But here's the issue. Shark fin soup is made possible by a horrible, cruel process called shark finning. Shark finning is the actual practice of removing fins of the sharks at sea and dumping the animal overboard. And, and then unable to swim, the shark suffers a slow death, either by drowning or bleeding to death. It's been estimated that roughly 100 million sharks or more are killed each year just for their fins to meet the demands of the vast quantity of shark fin soup being consumed. And shark finning is a multi-billion dollar industry. Well, this poses a significant threat to the survival of our sharks. And since sharks are our apex predators, when they're removed from the ocean, the entire ecosystem suffers. 
Both federal and state law prohibit the practice of slicing off a shark's fin or shark finning, but a market still exists for them in the United States where a bowl of shark fin soup can sell for more than $100. So restaurants that serve it are really creating an international demand to hunt the sharks, and this usually occurs in countries with lax or non-existent finning laws. Now, in California, where there's a large demand for the fins, a ban went into effect in 2013 that prohibits the sale, possession, trade, or distribution of shark fins. The ban survived legal challenges from suppliers and Chinese-American businesses that alleged racial discrimination. And as I mentioned earlier, Texas just joined a number of other states that have enacted laws prohibiting the sale of shark fins and food containing the fins. But are we making progress in ending shark finning around the world? With us now is Andrew Harmon, Communications Director of Wild Aid. Wild Aid's mission is to end the illegal wildlife trade in our lifetimes. Welcome to the program, Andrew. Glad to be here. Andrew, how big a problem is the shark fin industry around the world? It's, it continues to be a very severe problem. Um, as far as statistics go, fins from up to 73 million sharks are used, uh, for instance, in shark fin soup every year. Uh, and this is something that is just part of the big picture. Uh, yeah. We do recognize at Wild Aid that uh, shark finning is not the only problem, that there's certainly overfishing of sharks for shark meat consumption. But uh, we do find finning to be particularly egregious, particularly cruel, and certainly wasteful. And uh, we've also seen that we can really move the needle on this issue. We have seen that our campaigns, for instance, in China and Hong Kong, have produced results in getting people to, to say no to shark fin soup. Yeah. And recently, the state of Texas became the 10th state to ban the trade of shark fins. So how important a step is this? And why don't we have a nationwide ban? That's a good question. I think uh, it's certainly important that Texas is stepping forward on this and joining states such as California, um, which is, you know, was historically one of the, the larger markets for shark fin soup in the U.S. There are bans as far as shark fin shipments. Um, of endangered species. So when you look at species such as the scalloped hammerhead, um, it is illegal under the Endangered Species Act to import fins from an endangered animal into the U.S. Unfortunately, we don't have that um, blanket protection for all sharks. That's certainly something that we are looking for. Um, what we have seen recently is that grassroots campaigns uh, led by people that are uh, certainly shark aficionados have moved the needle in terms of getting air carriers to stop shipping shark fin. Uh, for instance, in Costa Rica, uh, we saw evidence of UPS shipping shark fin uh, to Hong Kong by way of U.S. airports. Uh, these were not necessarily illegal because um, ostensibly they were not endangered species. However, uh, it looks like UPS really looked at the pressure um, they uh, worked with World Wildlife Fund to bring about a, a positive policy, and uh, we were really uh, excited and happy to see them announce last month that they would no longer accept shark fin shipments. Uh, we're also looking at carriers such as DHL and uh, FedEx to do the same. Uh, DHL has clarified their policy against shark fin shipments, uh, but we're still waiting for FedEx to do the same. Andrew, going back to Texas being the 10th state to ban the trade of shark fins, what does that ban accomplish? What does it mean? Can restaurants serve the soup? Uh, it means that they cannot serve the soup and there cannot be any legal commercial trade in shark fin within that state. So we've seen the same thing in California, and we have seen people prosecuted as a result. There have been a number of cases in California of uh, people illegally selling shark fin. Um, so I think in the big picture, it does matter that the U.S. and you know, large states such as Texas and California are really taking a very public stand and are showing that the U.S. is really serious on cracking down on the wildlife trade. Um, this is not uh, something that we as Americans want to be known for, and it's certainly something that the Chinese have said that when it comes to something like elephant ivory, that while they are interested in, in phasing out 
their uh, ivory industry that they expect other nations to do the same. So I think it's really great to see um, more of an initiative by U.S. states as well as by the federal government to really you know, crack down on this illegal trade. So it's, it's pretty clear that it's hard to enforce illegal finning in distant seas. So what is the world community doing to fight these illegal practices? Well, I think one one piece of it certainly is legislation. I think another piece of it uh, is enforcement and and a, a greater visibility of um, just how devastating this trade is. I mean, I think uh, actually I, I still get tips uh, quite frequently that that come to my office. Just a few weeks ago, someone in Soho in New York had sent me a photo of uh, shark fins drawing on a rooftop in Manhattan. And, um, you know, immediately when this person saw that, of course, they immediately thought this is illegal activity, this can't stand. And um, we were able to, you know, connect them with U.S. Fish and Wildlife investigators to take a look at this. Um, I think, you know, the U.S. has taken steps forward. We've seen consumer uh, behavior in China, in Hong Kong, change. Um, just uh, last week, actually, I was at a U.N. panel and a... Um, an Asian American woman came up and talked about how uh, her family back in China has uh, really stepped away from any consumption of shark fin. It used to be something she said that would be de rigueur in uh, you know weddings or official banquets, and it's really quite passe at this point. Yeah, we have seen that. Um, our own research has shown a 50 to 70 percent decline in shark fin consumption in China, which is really huge. Um, now, the problem, by all means, has not disappeared, and uh, we certainly uh, encourage other governments to step forward and to end this, you know, dangerous and deadly practice. Andrew, I just read an article that explained how an EU loophole is permitting shark fins to flow into the UK through personal allowance rules. What is this? Can can you explain this? It's it's pretty shocking and quite a black mark on the EU. Uh, from my understanding, that is the case as far as uh, a certain amount of uh, shark fin that can be brought in through personal a personal use loophole and then ostensibly can be sold uh, for shark fin soup. Um, you know, with with roughly a third of shark populations, you know, closer to extinction. I I think it's uh, it's pretty shocking that. Uh, you know, country or uh, that, that the European Union could allow this. What we have seen that's good news is that celebrity chefs and uh, European NGOs are very much on top of this, very much concerned, and are really pushing for that personal uh, that personal allowance loophole to uh, go from its 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 actual level right now to a quota of zero. Andrew, are Americans beginning to understand how important sharks are to the oceans and how damaging and cruel the illegal killing of the sharks is? I, you know, I'd like to think so. I think we have seen a dramatic shift. Uh, sharks, of course, are uh, continuing to be sensationalized on you know, some television programming. But I think people are starting to realize that uh, sharks are risk. Of uh, uh, the, your risk of, of being injured or, or killed by a shark certainly uh, is pretty minuscule, and the real danger is that of humans inflicting, yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, injury and death on on sharks. I think it's very clear, and I, 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 what I what I really love to see actually is that of the youth that are excited by Wild Aid's work with uh, celebrities and ambassadors all over, over the world, it's the shark campaigns that are most popular among young people. Uh, I really see a lot of kids who absolutely love sharks, who have this sort of innate um, sense that they are important in, in the world's oceans as predators and keeping you know, other species in check and, uh, and maintaining whatever balance we can. In, in the ocean. So I'd like to think that, that sharks will continue to uh, to earn the respect or to, to get the respect that they, they deserve. Yeah, I hope you're right. What can people do to help end shark finning and, and protect the sharks? It's very important that we continue to keep this issue alive in even state legislators. Um, in, the, in the state legislatures, I think people can certainly uh, call their uh, elected officials and, uh, you know, request that uh, if there is not uh, a, a bill or a law to ban shark fin in their state, that they, 
that they really press their elected officials and why that is. Uh, we really believe that there is no place for shark fin soup in the United States. Um, that is uh, that's number one. I think people can also um, they can they can take a public stand and pledge uh, never to uh, buy shark fin soup themselves if they go to wildaid.org. Uh, we have a pledge that thousands of people from around the world have signed, and uh, we think it's a, a very strong message. Check it out, wildaid.org. Andrew Harmon, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Supporting those who defend our country is one of the important missions of Colorado Technical University, or CTU. In partnership with the Yellow Ribbon Fund, CTU awards 50 scholarships annually to wounded service members, spouses of wounded service members, and caregivers. The scholarship covers tuition, books, and fees for a single degree program along with a new laptop computer. CTU is recognized as one of the best online bachelor's programs by U.S. News & World Report and as a best for vets college by Military Times. The university offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs, including business, criminal justice, computer science, and engineering. At CTU, students can study online, on campus, or a blend of both and learn whenever and wherever fits with their schedules. The deadline for the CTU Wounded Warrior Scholarship Program is September 15th. To learn more about the Wounded Warrior Scholarship Program offered by CTU, visit coloradotech.edu WW. For important disclosures and information, visit coloradotech.edu disclosures. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. This report is brought to you by Colorado Technical University. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. Welcome back. Do you 
know what vaccines are needed for cats? What diseases do vaccines prevent and how effective are they? When, if ever, do booster vaccinations need to be done? Here to update us on current guidelines for feline vaccinations is Dr. Robert Reed, Medical Director of VCA Rancho Mirage Animal Hospital in Rancho Mirage, California. Hey, Robert. Hi, Lori. Okay, so we've already spoken about dogs. Now, would you please review the diseases we are concerned about in cats and the vaccinations recommended to prevent them? The main diseases we are concerned about in cats are, of course, rabies virus or rabies vaccine, um, feline leukemia virus, and the upper respiratory diseases, which are feline herpes virus or rhinotracheitis virus, uh, Khaleesi virus, and the feline parvovirus, which is called panleukopenia virus. The vaccine that's often referred to um, as feline distemper is actually the combination of the, the herpes virus, Khaleesi virus, and panleukopenia virus. We call it the FVRCP vaccine. That's one of our core vaccines. In fact, the, the main vaccine that we try to get kittens uh, uh, immunized with. The leukemia vaccine, we generally only give to cats that are going to be in contact with other cats outside the house, usually outdoor cats or cats that socialize with cats that don't live in the household. The rabies vaccination in cats is not required by the state of California at this time, but it's recommended in cats that might have exposure to any other cats, to people or wildlife, which really includes virtually all cats. Um, and the uh, the duration of those vaccinations is up to interpretation, and the frequency with which they're administered can vary between individual pets and individual veterinarians. Talk about the safety of the vaccines. What side effects or risks are there? Well, you know, the cats can have the same kind of um, of risks that dogs have. That meaning, you know, they can have allergic reactions. Um, and they also have delayed reactions where they feel sick that night and the next day. But I have to say that cats are much less prone, though, to allergic reactions and are more likely to have vomiting reaction than swelling about the, the face, for example. But the, the reaction that we worry the most about in, in cats and the, the one that cat lovers tend to have the greatest concern about is the feline immune uh, the um, injection site sar sarcomas, which are tumors that develop as a result of stimulation under the skin by a vaccination. This is a condition that we used to see more frequently because of vaccines that contained adjuvants, which are uh, ingredients that are stimulated, that are intended to stimulate a reaction and to make the immune system respond more strongly. Fortunately, over the last few years, some of the manufacturers of vaccines have gotten um, wise to that and have developed some vaccines that are cat-specific that don't have adjuvants in them and are extremely less likely to cause that type of reaction. It's a devastating reaction though, because it usually happens years later um, and it can be life-threatening and sometimes fatal. So you can imagine that it raises a lot of concern among cat owners. Wow, wow. In your practice, what misconceptions do your clients have about vaccinations in cats and the diseases they prevent? Well, I think the most people, the most common misconception about cats is actually that cats don't need vaccinations. And I really don't believe that. I think that the, the vaccines that we use, the core vaccines, have a real purpose and really protect cats' lives, particularly the upper respiratory vaccines and panleukopenia virus. You know, the panleukopenia virus is one that it's probably the most serious disease of the three, but it's the one that has the longest immunity. The other two are upper respiratory diseases, uh, sometimes mouth diseases, and they, they affect the membranes of the mouth and the airways. And they can be, the duration of immunity can be much shorter and the symptoms can be lessened or prevented if the vaccines are kept up fairly regularly. Unfortunately, the regularity is not quite as clear as we would like it to be. 
We generally think of those as necessary at the same interval as puppies when cats are kittens, meaning they get them about every three weeks until they're about 16 to 20 weeks of age. And then annually after that, afterward, some people might give them annually and some might uh, move to an every three-year dosing. And that's going to depend on the location, the, the level of risk, the ideas of the practitioner, and the interests of the, the pet owner as well. So that one, you know, was really open to conversation, and, and I think that the decisions are not going to be the same for every pet. But it is very important to have that conversation because some form of vaccine protection I think is really important for cats, for those vaccines. So another vaccine that we often use that we sometimes con consider a core vaccine for cats is the feline leukemia vaccine. Uh, but the recommendations for that are also not as clear as we would like. Uh, we tend to follow the guidelines of the Association, American Association of Feline Practitioners, which suggests that kittens should be immunized against leukemia because they're more vulnerable to contracting it and that the vaccine should be given as a, a two-booster uh, interval, a two-booster series as kittens, and then annually thereafter, as long as cats are being exposed to other cats through play groups or through, being, through outside activity. So that one, again, really depends on the lifestyle of the cat, uh, whether you want to give it or not. Perhaps the, the vaccine that elicits the most discussion in California for cats is the rabies vaccine because it is not required and many people of course um, for valid reasons want to minimize the amount of vaccine they give to their cats many people choose not to use it i tend to favor rabies vaccine in cats as long as we use the cat specific vaccine that's designed to provide uh, minimal risk and less reactivity uh, especially in terms of uh, vaccine-related sarcomas. Um, I believe that the rabies vaccine is helpful in protecting cats against uh, potential exposures to rabies and the implications of uh, animal control intervention if there is a, a possible exposure um, to rabies. And cats are actually the most commonly affected domestic animal um, by rabies, at least in the U.S., not that it happens frequently. Um, but it probably happens more than people realize. Very helpful information. Dr. Robert Reed, thank you. You're welcome. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.